Welcome to Revitalize and Restart, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of church revitalization, restart, and renewal. We invite you to listen as a host and some of the best practitioners in the field of church revitalization and restart discuss issues facing the church in America. And now, here is your host, Dr. Steve Sells, author, conference speaker, and president of Operation Transformation. Welcome to another installment of Revitalize and Restart, a podcast that's brought to you by Operation Transformation Church Revitalization Group out of Salisbury, North Carolina. I'm Dr. Steve Sales, your host, and it's a pleasure to have with us today Dr. Kenneth Pretty. Dr. Pretty is the founder and executive director of the Ghost Center, uh, which features Great Commission-centric ministries. Uh, he has a BA from Virginia Commonwealth University, a Master of Divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, and a PhD in Biblical Studies from Newburgh Theological Seminary. Welcome, Dr. Uh, Pretty. We are so honored to have you with us today. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Today, we're going to be discussing some uh, some vital questions that I think relate to any church revitalization project that that a church may need to go into. Uh, you know, both of us know that uh, church revitalization is not easy. I don't think pastors understand that sometimes, uh, but we know it's not easy. In fact, uh, to revitalize a church is hard work and time-consuming, um, but the result, the end result, hopefully, is a, is a revived uh, uh, and more enthusiastic congregation where death had been the, the predominant factor. So let's just jump right into this whole thing and discuss some essentials uh, uh, about this thing of stepping into a, a church revitalization project. Okay. Let's get down to some simple facts. Uh, in your estimation, Dr. Pretty, what's the leading cause of decline in the local church today that you see? From my experience, uh, what I find that it's central to, to most situations is that there is a, a pastoral staff, leadership, congregation that is overly inward focused. Um, their attention is um, driven by uh, the question, how are we going to minister to our congregation? And so everything that they do uh, typically uh, is about uh, internal ministry, um, dealing with, you know, programming, dealing with worship services, all the things that a congregation participates uh, within itself. Mm -hmm. And while this is going on over a period of time, uh, the community outside right across the street is going through all kinds of transitions. It's probably changing demographically in many, in many ways. It might be ethnic. It might be socioeconomic. Uh, all kinds of reasons that, that communities transition. But the pace of transition in the community is always greater than the pace of transition inside the church. Yes. So what, what you end up with is there's what I call a cultural gap 
between the congregation inside and the community outside. And over time, if the congregation is inwardly focused, that gap is getting wider and wider and wider until the church really has no relevance to that particular community. Yeah. And uh, so I, I find that some some degree of that element is present in virtually every situation I've been in where there's been long term plateau or decline. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I read Barna and a, and a lot of different ones uh, and they they everyone has a different uh, percentage. But when you think about even if even on the low side, if only 70 percent of our churches in America, evangelical churches are plateaued or declining, we're in big trouble. And uh, and uh, there, it comes back to this thing, uh, like you're saying, is uh, they've turned inward. It's a frightening thing to see a church um, forget the Great Commission. And, and I love the fact that your ministry is Great Commission centric. Uh, that's what needs to happen in every one of our churches. Yeah, um, I, I would certainly agree with that. Uh, you know, it's it's somewhat ironic that, you know, I've never had a conversation with a, a pastor or church leader who um, denied the importance of the Great Commission. Yeah. You know, everyone gives some kind of verbal assent or buy-in to the Great Commission. Yes. But then when you examine the behaviors yeah. of that congregation, you just don't see Great Commission behavior. No. And so, you know, you've got to get past this idea that the Great Commission is some third-party doctrine that, yes. that we want to acknowledge. It's actually our march- marching orders. Right. It's the, It ought to be the central part of all of our churches, but um, – it seems like the, that that that's not the case, and and it does bring decline. There's no way in the world a church can can function or or be a church without uh, really understanding this the concept of great commission. Well, uh, in in light of the reality of the decline, and every church revitalizer uh, will talk about that to one degree or another. Um, would you say that there's a time? In, in some of these churches' lives to where they've gone too far, that it's, it's time to close the door. I mean, I, I have to tell you, for many years, I refused to accept that premise. Right. <laughs> because I don't want to see any church close its doors. Yeah. But I have dealt with some that I don't think is ever going to come out of it. So what, what's your estimation of that? What do you think about that? Well, uh, to me, the starting point is always uh, to give this church an opportunity yes. to get turned around. You know, the closure is never on my mind as a first option. Right. It's it's not even really on the list. Uh it's something that when everything else has been exhausted, uh, let's talk about closure. Um, a couple of things that, that I look for uh, is uh, it has to do with a concept of what I call viability. Right. Uh, is this church viable? Uh, can it be, in fact, turned around? And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, as I'm discussing this with church leaders, somebody will throw out 
uh, the verse that says, well, with God, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, that's not really a trump card that you pull out in an emergency. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've, I've modified it a bit. And I'll say to that person, I said, well, okay, I'm going to buy theologically, biblically, that with all things God, uh, with all things uh, are possible with God, but are all things probable? Yeah, yeah. See, part of revitalization is raising the probability that this church can thrive. And what I look for, three things primarily, is this church financially viable? You know, does it have the financial staying power to be at this long enough to get turned around? Yes. Uh, you know, the truth is uh, it takes churches years, sometimes decades to become whatever they are. Right. And you don't turn that around overnight. No, no. So does this church have financial staying power? Secondly, I want to know, is this congregation teachable? Uh, are they willing to learn new things? Are they willing to sacrifice things that they might not want to sacrifice? Uh, and then thirdly, I look at the pastor. Um, you know, I was in church planting for a lot of years before I got into revitalization. Mm-hmm. And perhaps the most distinctive difference is that uh, when you're talking church planting, you're typically working with a planter uh, who has recently been assessed and it has been determined that this person has the right combination of calling and skills and experience and whatnot to be an effective planter. And if, if a candidate doesn't have that, you don't plant with that person. Right. Right. But in the world of revitalization, more often than not, you're going to be working with, uh, whatever pastor is in place. Yes. Uh, And so I have to ask the question, is this pastor viable as a leader of of turnaround? And so there would be a bit of an assessment, uh, not so much to rule out a pastor, but to determine what can we build on with this pastor? What needs to be built up? with this pastor. So it's a very different dynamic. So, you know, if the church is financially viable, if the congregation is teachable, and if the pastor has the right wiring and giftedness, then I think you give that church a chance. Yeah. Yeah. If either of those things is, is greatly missing, you've either got to find a way to overcome it or perhaps consider closure and, uh, you know, turning those assets into something that can be more kingdom productive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to pardon me. We, I, Our my office is beside a railroad track and a train just went by. I don't know whether <laughs> you heard it. I know everybody that's going to be listening to this is going to hear it. But, you know, it's it's interesting that come come down to whether you close or whether you don't close. Everything you have said is right exactly where um, a book that Dr. Tom Cheney and I co-authored together, Life After Death. And um, we have, uh, or Tom has, has perfected this system of when a church 
is not viable anymore. And when the church decides, oh my, when the church decides uh, because they don't have the finances, because they don't have leadership, uh, then uh, he has he has really perfected a, a restart program that is just second to none. And I've used his concepts a number of times, and they work. So I don't I don't like the idea of a church having to close its doors. But if it does, there ought to be another group of people or that uh, the leadership of that church being able to step back in and reform and regroup something that will be viable for that community. Um, man, you know, it's a frightening thing to think of a, clo- a closure of a church. It really is to me. Well, we, we do know that any church that's in decline got that point over time. Wasn't overnight. We said that a little bit ago. And one of the main reasons it finds itself in a state of decline is an unwillingness to change. And you've touched on this. And uh, in fact, I don't know about Presbyterian circles, but in Baptist circles, the word change is a dirty word. (laughs) They don't like talking about change. Uh, It's difficult to bring about in some of our churches. So talk to us a little bit about not just accepting change, but how do you embrace that change and allow that change to to make a difference in the future of of your church? Yeah. um, Well, of course, the nature of revitalization demands change. Yes. And uh, change is very difficult. Uh, Just even when that change is a a positive change that you're looking forward to, it's still not without challenge. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I find in working with, with churches uh, in regard to change is, is there two things in particular one is uh, on the front end of change is uh, what's what's the motivation? Mm-hmm. Um, where is the 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 conviction in the heart of leaders, in the heart of, of members of a church? Uh, where are they on that visceral level that says, I'm I'm willing to entertain change because I know that I know that I know that God is calling us to this. Yes. Yes. Um, if you're trying to navigate change uh, on a surface level, uh, you're in trouble. But if there is a godly conviction mm-hmm. toward change, uh, that's half the battle. Uh, so what's the motivation? Uh, in the context of, of my ministry, I talk with leaders about uh, negative motivators and positive motivators. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a negative motivator would be something like, well, we've lost so many people that we don't have enough people to man our programs. So we need to revitalize so that we can get more workers or we're in financial trouble. We need 10 more giving units uh, in order to, you know, meet our budget. Well, I understand those things. They're very real. Yes. Um and I don't want to just blow past those, but my experience has shown me that uh, when people enter into revitalization for those negative reasons, they really don't have staying power. Right. 
you know, the positive reason would be more uh, we're concerned about the lost in our community and yes. we're not doing uh, an adequate job of spreading the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you get to that level of positive motivation with conviction, now you've got a reason to change yes. that that will sustain. But even with that on the front end, you know, that would be the first thing is what is the motivation? The second thing would be uh what is the uh, the skill set of navigating change? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not an easy thing. Uh, personally, for me, uh, being at this particular kind of ministry, I have studied change. And I have gone through, for example, certification uh, with a secular organization to become a change manager. So -hmm. there's an art and science to navigating change. Things that you know are coming, better ways of of attempting change than others. So, um, you know, I'm finding that, yeah, a congregation is not by nature drawn to change, but Mm -hmm. if they can become convicted of the need to change Mm -hmm. and have someone working with them to help help navigate that difficult terrain, it puts them in a much more likely place to be successful at it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, bringing change is one thing. Uh, let's talk a minute about internal <clears throat> internal conflict. Sometimes a church has so many internal conflicts or issues that the church is so, and the church's leadership is so preoccupied uh, with dealing with those difficult situations that the church just simply is not functioning properly. Um, shouldn't a church deal with internal conflict and internal issues at least at the very beginning, if not before they go into a church revitalization process? Yeah, you know, that's a really uh, delicate area to consider Um, because there are two things that are uh, in a sense working against each other on one hand yes uh, there is a relationship between uh, what I'm going to call serious conflict in a church Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I would go so far even as to say sin in the camp kind of issues Mm you know, for for my my take on that, uh, I call it the Aiken principle out of Joshua yes. seven. Yes. You know, you've got the promise of God that the Israelites will take the land, and they have this magnificent victory at Jericho, mm-hmm. and then the second location on the conquest list is this tiny little town called Ai, mm-hmm. and they get driven back. Yes. And so let's like, well, what has happened between Jericho and AI? And the answer is there's sin in the camp. Yes, yes. Uh, God has lifted the blessing. The promise is still in place. Mm -hmm. You will take the land. But until you get this internal sin issue dealt with properly, you're not going anywhere. So on one hand, there is a need to address 
unresolved sin issues mm-hmm. to to make those things right before God and to make those things right horizontally person to person i mean i've I've dealt with churches where you know families in the church haven't spoken to each other for yeah. five years yeah I've dealt with churches where uh, a staff member was was very inappropriately fired some years before mm-hmm. and that was never addressed. You know, and the issue is, is there residue still hovering in this church as a result of some sin issue? In which case, I would say, by all means, that must be addressed and made right before God if you expect to turn this church around. The flip side, though, is I run into churches often where the sensibility says – well, if we're going to become vital and reach our community, shouldn't we spend a couple of years in study and preparation for this? Mm-hmm. And I understand the question. I understand why there it's being asked. But the truth is, if inward focus has been – the problem, this is just another version of inward focus. <laughs> and the truth is, in the American church, we prepare, 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 prepare all the time and then don't execute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I've come to believe is that, you know, you don't revitalize in order to reach out. You revitalize by reaching out, yeah, yeah. kind of an on-the-job training experience. Right. And uh, so I always say, look, you, you're already ready. Mm-hmm. So don't you're already prepared. You know the Lord. You have a testimony. You know the Bible. You've been around the church probably for years, maybe for decades. Yeah. You are filled to the brim with things that need to be shared. Mm-hmm. So just get out there. And a lot of these internal issues are going to self-correct mm-hmm. when your focus is on a kingdom vision. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, uh, I'm convinced that uh, sometimes we, we try to fix things when, if we just step back the process of of bringing a church uh, out of a state of de- decline can fix the problems <clears throat> because, you know, I mean, I've seen it and you've seen it. Uh, some things no outsider or anybody else is going to be able to come in and fix. Uh, I mean, there's some issues that are so deep rooted in a church. Only God can do that. And the only way God's going to do it is for, the church to start getting right with God through, through uh, church revitalization. Sure. Um, well, you've been in, in church revitalization a number of years. And uh, uh, I know that you have developed a strategy. All of us that, that do church revitalization have their own process, their own strategy um, and how, as to how to go about doing revitalization. Will you share with the audience a little bit, if, if you were going to step into a process of revitalization for any pastor that's listening, 
and, and you, you know, I'm asking you to do this in a very brief way. I know this is yeah. difficult, but how would you go about doing that? Well, there is a process. Um, now, I have found that in talking with people who are colleagues of mine who share this ministry of revitalization, mm-hmm. while there are uh, nuances and different emphases that might might float from one to the other, there there is that common ground of you got to get biblical. You got to make the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Yes. Dead center. Absolutely. Uh, you've got to call people to sacrifice. You know, there are a lot of things that are common. Um, but at the same time, depending on your particular wiring and your particular entry into revitalization, mm-hmm. you know, we all have our approaches. Um, yeah. And uh, I've put together something that I call the, the MVP keys uh and the mvp stands for missional vitality process uh-huh. um, and you know I, I don't have near enough time to go into all of that yes. but the the bottom foundational platform is uh twofold spiritual renewal with strategic initiative so those two elements are absolutely essential. Uh, You have to address revitalization as a spiritual enterprise, right? but you also have to approach it as a strategic enterprise. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the little buzz phrases I use is you need to be spiritually strategic and strategically spiritual. Um, You know, try saying that fast a few times. (laughs) Uh, But you know, what I've seen is that the, the tendency among churches is to lean toward one or the other of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to approach it just spiritually. So they want to have a weekend retreat or a revival or, you know, a new Bible study series that everybody goes through. And, you know, all of those things are wonderful, but by itself, it's incomplete. What yes. tends to happen is uh, folks are experiencing sort of what I well what I call a spiritual pep rally. Yeah, they get all excited for a moment. You know, folks are moved. They get chill bumps. They cry. They hug. Uh, they repent. <laughs> you yeah. know, they make promises. But then it's over, and you're back to regular life, and nothing changes. Right. Right. The flip side would be. Uh, Leaders that feel like, well, the spiritual side is is fine. You know, we're godly people. We're in the church. Uh, that's not our problem. We're mm-hmm. solid spiritually. What we need is, you know, six steps to renewal. Uh, the the what I call the methodology du jour. <laughs> you know, whoever wrote the latest book, whoever's hosting the next conference, yeah. and so they chase after methodology without dealing with the spiritual underpinning Mm -hmm. and it becomes manipulative. So what you see in that case is momentary statistical spiking, but you don't see sustainable revitalization. Right. right. So the very first thing I try to communicate Mm -hmm. is 
If your church wants to engage in revitalization, we're going to approach this spiritually and we're going to approach this strategically and we're going to treat both sides of this uh, with equal weight. Amen. So that's that's the foundation of it. Uh, A couple of other pieces that are very important. Uh, We invite churches to go through a uh, an assessment process mm-hmm. uh, and it's a self-assessment. We provide guidance and tools, mm-hmm. but we ask them to self-assess. Right. Uh, primarily because it's a learning experience. And I've learned the hard way that when I assess from the outside, church leaders have a hard time buying in to my opinion of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if they assess themselves, right. It proves to be a wake up call. Right. Right. And typically they find that they're not quite as healthy as they thought. Mm-hmm. And that can be a catalyst for that positive motivation mm-hmm. of getting into revitalization. Oh, yeah. So, you know, uh, once they're past the uh, assessment process, we determine where are you as a church. Uh, we do this uh, with a, a life cycle concept. Right. Where are you right. on the life cycle? Right. And then what we seek to do is is cut that life cycle off right where it is and use that spot on the current life cycle uh, to launch a new life cycle. Yeah. Yeah. That is targeted toward outward facing ministry. Yeah. yeah. And you know, we have a variety of tools for how to flesh that out, but conceptually it's about let's determine where are we and then let's cut that off, not allow that life cycle to continue further yeah. into plateau or decline, and let's launch a new life cycle. Uh uh, utilizing approaches that are going to cause us to be more outwardly facing rather than inwardly facing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. Well, uh, Dr. Pretty, our time is almost gone. And uh, can you just share in these closing moments, a uh, couple of takeaway thoughts that some of the pastors and leaders and, and church members that might be listening um, some takeaway thoughts that might help them and maybe pull some of the things together we've been talking about. Yeah, well, um, I think that one of the things that's uh, most important to me are two particular biblical models that we use. Uh, one, of course, is Great Commission. Um, and and the only thing I'll comment about that now is I, I want to make sure anyone listening understands that uh, the Great Commission is not limited to evangelism. Right. Oftentimes that comment or even criticism is made uh, because when I talk about the Great Commission, people perceive me saying it's all about evangelism. 
And so you need to go and share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you do need to go share the gospel, but the Great Commission is is exponentially bigger than evangelism. Yes. Uh, You know, it starts with the authority of Jesus Christ. All authority has been given to me. Mm -hmm. Therefore, go and make disciples. It doesn't say go and make converts. It Mm -hmm. says go and make disciples. Yeah. Uh, And then it articulates that further with baptism and and ultimately teaching. Now, here's where the rubber really meets the road. Absolutely. You know, because when I ask the question, of a group, I'll say, what does the Great Commission tell us to teach? And most of the time, like the, the first answer that gets blurted out is, well, teach, teach them all that Jesus commanded, mm-hmm. which sounds like a right answer. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, teach them to obey all that I commanded. Yeah, that's right. Well, obedience is a much bigger concept than knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then he closes out by saying, and I'm with you. Mm-hmm. So we have the presence of Christ. So, you know, when you think about the Great Commission, we've got the authority of Christ wrapped into the presence of Christ. And inside of that, we've got this this outwardly going ministry that does uh, present the gospel and bring people to faith. But that's the starting line. It's not the finish line. The finish line is when people are properly discipled and taught how to live their faith. So that model's big. The other model comes from Nehemiah. No surprise there. Uh, Everybody I know that's involved in revitalization spends a lot of time in Nehemiah. But Nehemiah is the one that gave me that first glimpse of spiritual renewal with strategic initiative. Mm -hmm. Because with Nehemiah, you know, he he receives that report uh, about the condition of the exiles in Jerusalem. And it's not a good report. Um, But what is his response? Well, the initial response is weeping, mourning, fasting, praying, interceding. It's a spiritual response. But later, he gets into a very strategic response of going back to Jerusalem and leading that turnaround. So those two models uh, are just absolutely critical to the revitalization process. Amen. Amen. Tell us, uh, those that are listening, uh, tell us how they can get in touch with you and know more about your ministry. Well, the uh, the website, there's a couple of websites that could be looked at. First would be uh, gocenterinfo.com. Okay. Um, secondly, I have a personal website at canpretty.com. Okay. So all of my other contact information is there. Good enough. As well as, you know, other information and the usual kind of, you know, propaganda that we all <laughs> share uh, about our, our work. So that would be the way to, to, to track me down. There's also a free of charge um, church life cycle assessment that's available okay. at assessment.church. Assessment.church. Yeah, just go to assessment.church and and follow along, and uh, it'll take you to the assessment. Amen. Amen. Well, our time is gone, 
Uh, thank you so much for sharing with us today. We we just appreciate so much and the knowledge that you've shared with us. For those listening to us today, if you heard something that will help you lead your local church, uh, let us know. Tell your friends and your and your uh, church leaders about this podcast. Be sure to like the podcast, subscribe to it, so that uh, you'll know whenever we put a new one up. Uh, this is Dr. Steve Sell saying thanks for listening, and thank you again, Dr. Pretty, for being with us. My prayer is that something we discuss today might help church leaders help their churches. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for Revitalize and Restart. Make sure to visit our website, www.operation-transformation.org, and subscribe to our show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or, if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to join us next time, and again, thanks for listening.